0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warriors, to another Suncast episode. I am so glad that you're here. I want to welcome you in and thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention by giving us the only thing that you can't get back, and that is a non-renewable resource as your time. I promise that We're going to help you invest that time wisely. Today's entrepreneur is someone that genuinely I've wanted to have on since the beginning of Suncast. I didn't always have the kind of uh, access or relationship with him that would merit it. And all things in due time, my friend, this is proof that if you just keep doing what you're doing, then you can get closer to your goals. One of those for me was to interview Mr. Dan Leary. He is one of the... OGs in the industry, started in the industry around the same time I did, 2006, on his clean energy journey. And I've watched numerous companies that this serial entrepreneur has put into the world, companies that you would recognize, like Nexamp and Panel Claw. We're gonna talk today a little bit more about his newest baby, Dina Watts. This is a deep dive with someone that I truly respect as an entrepreneur, as a thoughtful human being who wants to give back to our community and who really believes that the work we do is bettering our planet and saving human lives. So I hope that these are the kinds of conversations that you've clicked play to tune into. You'll get more than 600 of them in our back catalog over at mysuncast.com, if that's the kind of thing that you enjoy. If you're listening to this in a podcast, player like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, just go ahead and hit the subscribe button. And if you do get to the end of this and you just love this kind of content, I hope that you will subscribe, but also I hope that you'll leave us a quick rating and review because that's how other people who are looking for this kind of inspiration will find us more readily and easily, just like you have. Without further ado, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Well, as I teed up I have the privilege and honor today to interview someone that I think I can now truly call a friend. I've had the opportunity to get to know him uh, over the better half of the first part of this year. Shout out to our mutual friend and fellow podcaster, Tim Montague, for making the connection finally for me with Dan Leary. Uh, Dan is an OG. He has been connected to and connected uh, by some of the other greats in our industry that I'm sure we'll talk about in this conversation. I first met him in, uh, in Boston, in the offices of Nexamp, I think circa 2008 or nine, like way early in both of our careers. Um, so it's a trip to get a chance to go back down memory lane with Dan. And I, but without further ado, we'll welcome you to Suncast. Thank you so much for taking the time, Dan.
1: Thanks, Nico. It's great to be here, finally.
0: Man, long time, long time coming. I could go into the whole, uh, sort of the whole reason and, and, and uh, backstory of the impact that I've watched you have on so many lives. I mean, it's really, it's really um, inspiring to have gotten to hear your story, and I'm so glad that we get to capture it here. So, Dan, I often share that I am a bit of a quote hoarder. I try to. I mean, the podcast itself is exemplary of how I look to others and how they've lived their lives, and the and the wisdom droppings that they've left behind um, or will are willing to leave for us uh, as. As mile markers and guidance, uh, one of my absolute favorite quotes I'll share here, and I'll ask you to share one as well as we kick it off, is I think, uncoincidentally, I have had these quotes that rotate on my backdrop every 30 minutes, and so usually I'll start by whatever is the one that's on. Um, These are all inspirational for me. I think it's, it's fitting that this one just rotated over as we start this interview with you, because it really does seem exemplary of how I've watched you live your life. So, I don't mean to be overly flattering to you today, Dan, um, but I genuinely think that you've been one of those people in our industry who has done uh, exactly this. So, Shakespeare has a quote that I live by and love. Uh, I'd like to say I live by, but I definitely love it. And it's inspirational. It says, Have more than show, speak less than know. And I know that (laughs) as a guy who uh, honed his uh, sort of honed his uh, adult uh, mentality in the army, that's definitely something that. Um, you can appreciate and affirm have more than That's show. Great. That's a great quote. Speak less than no. Right. Um, is it, are there similar quotes or one, one or so one quote that you would
1: pluck out of the air and say, yeah, this is one that I live by. Boy, one, one that I, one that I want my children to live by. Cause I, I sing this song to mm-hmm. them. Um, as they're growing up every night, as we're going to bed, as we're walking to the buses, uh, take it easy by the Eagles. And uh, the quote is: "We may lose and we may win, but we'll never be here again." Mm. Um, it's uh, so many people that have helped guide me, be my mentors throughout all of this. Is uh, the attitude: just go for it. It's no dress rehearsal. <sighs>
0: love that. Mm. Yeah, man that that hits right there as an entrepreneur. That's so many entrepreneurs are just mired with, um, imposter syndrome, uh, with fear of failure, fear of success. Yeah. We may lose or win, but we'll never be here again. Never have another opportunity yeah. to take that shot. Wayne Gretzky similarly says, um, you miss every shot you don't take. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, if Wayne Gretzky said it, like, come on, it's got to be right. <laughs> it's got to be right. Well, similarly, we all show up as entrepreneurs to solve problems in the world. Oh, I make this whole conversation about quotes, right? Um, <laughs> Zig Ziglar said, you know, your ability to earn capital is directly, um, maybe even Jim Rohn. Like he was probably quoting, but like, you will you will earn money commensurate with the number of problems you solve and the number of people you help. So, yeah, in, in that light, how would you describe? the problem that you have created your various businesses to try and
1: solve? Oh boy. So I'm a big fan of clean energy and solar in particular mm-hmm. and solving the problems of efficiently scaling the industry. Cause the industry is not going to scale if we can't figure out how to do this more efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, let me, yeah. let me, let me give you an example. Okay. So a few months ago, we were walking around the hotel lobby in, in Boston at, at RE Plus. And, and uh, yeah. I look across the lobby and there's there's Nico. And Nico looks at me and says, hey, there's Dan Leary. Oh, my God. Haven't seen you in so long. Yeah. And you come over, pull out your phone. We snap a selfie. Hey, look, I'm here at RE Plus with Dan Leary. This is a great hit send blast it off to your viewers. And um, this is how digital transformation has helped to make your your, your industry, your, your business grow. Mm. This is how you're able to connect with all these entrepreneurs and help, help the industry grow just like yeah. we are. And it's a phenomenal thing that technology can do to make your business more efficient. Mm. And, you know, that night you can look and see, oh, we connected with all these other folks at the, at the show and, and um, tell some great stories. So, yeah. so imagine this. So imagine you, you said, hey, there's Dan Leary. Hold on. Let me pull up my thirty-five millimeter uh, Kodak camera. <laughs> take a selfie. Go get it developed. Go get it back. Say, hold on while I, while I email or fax this out to to my followers and and try to try to get connection with them. It just doesn't work, right? Yeah. Um, solar performance management is kind of the same way right now, mm. and honestly, it hasn't changed much in the last ten years. Mm. Um, there's there's a great opportunity for uh making things more efficient with technology and that's what my company right now is all about yeah well
0: do us a favor then introduce us to this company if i say it properly then uh i get another bonus point in the in the inconsequential sort of stack of points that we don't count but yeah. i think you pronounce it dina watts correct watts yeah okay so introduce us to dina watts and how dina watts is solving the problem you've just enunciated
1: we set out to create a, a better way to do performance measurement. We kind of mm-hmm. set out to to build a wireless weather station some years ago and found out that we were uh, actually onto something much much bigger uh, than that. Uh, I used to say that the industry needed a yardstick mm-hmm. to better understand performance because as i as I started on this, um, there just wasn't enough data to really understand how well things were performing. And what I've come to realize is the industry didn't need a yardstick; it it needed a tape measure, it needed a smarter, faster way of of doing it, um, of, of measuring performance. But but more importantly, it needed a revolution in data. Every aspect of data and business intelligence, which is almost non-existent in the industry, yeah. is the problem that we're out to solve. And mm-hmm. in order to to solve that, we 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 you know, went into this, we, we knew that we had to build a technology that could uh do it, you know faster, more efficiently. So we developed this this product called the Dino sensor, which is a um it's an IoT product. Okay. It it, it you put a couple of those on a our our primary markets non-residential, so commercial DG utility scale projects. You put a few of those up on the each site and what it's doing is it's calculating Uh, every five seconds how much power and energy should be coming out of your solar array Mm -hmm. and we use that to perform locally it's calculating it on the device on the device it's called edge computation so we're able to get resolution uh i think probably some of the best resolution of anybody in the industry because we're again we're taking five second data um and by getting that level of resolution we're able to perform benchmarks that are, I, I, some of the best I, I think I've seen. So essentially
0: edge computation. Yeah. Creating, um, a five second residual energy yield and presumably not, not even for forecasting, but gives you this, the ability to forecast better resolution benchmarking than has been previously available. Yeah. So I, I'm going to ask the question. So my job here is to be the voice of the listener for you. Mm-hmm. Um, what then are the solutions that exist today, and how is this a, a step change for that?
1: Yeah, so it, it's part technology, part of mindset. Traditionally in the industry, um, people have installed a weather station, mm-hmm. and a weather station, boy, sometimes it can look like a bit of a science fair project. Um, and and once you get into the mindset that, boy, it's not actually a you know a bunch of weather that we're trying to collect. What we're trying to do is simulate and predict the output of a solar array. Mm -hmm. So what's the best way to do that? Because when you can accurately predict what will be coming out of a solar array, and that's called expected power, Mm -hmm. then you can uh, get the best business intelligence um, that way. And the way that
0: weather weather stations do it, for those who are unfamiliar, is they capture... Irradiance. They measure different levels of sunlight in different locations. Flat plane. Uh, can you talk a bit about just the technology, the science of how it's been done for the last 15, 20 sure. years? I mean, we didn't we didn't invent um, weather stations for renewables. Uh, you know, wind and, and other and other industries have helped perfect that, and we've adopted a lot of technology and, and approaches from our
1: forefathers and, and big brothers in other renewables industries. Right. So it starts off with the energy model. Um, you have mm-hmm. an energy model developed by an owner or, or a contractor, or an independent mm-hmm. engineer that says, this is the system that we're going to build. And this is how it's going to perform electrically. Mm-hmm. And then you layer onto that, the amount of resource you'll get, which is a um, radiance in the the plane mm-hmm. of array and the temperature of the cells, the silicon cells themselves. So, with radiance in the plane of array and uh, temperature, you're able to uh, run that through this model uh, to determine how much energy or how much power should be um, output into the grid. So traditionally, weather stations have um, been a collection of various sensors, uh, different grades, different qualities. There's been a lot of there's a couple of key standards that are out there in the industry that that have evolved over the years to talk about what's the best way to do it. And we took an approach that says, um, you know, we're, we're not out to build the the most um, fancy uh, research grade pyranometer out there. We're out yeah. to support the um, we're out to make solar asset mo- managers more effective um, primarily. But what we're also finding is that, boy, the data sets that we're obtaining are uh, extremely helpful in modeling and helping on the front end, you know, understanding. The things that are leading to uh, issues right now, for example, there's a lot of talk about uh, sub hourly modeling, you know, having resolution of your predictive data sets that are only, you know, one hour, for example, you know, 20 year data at one hour intervals. Well, that leaves a lot. that's unknown. So can yeah. you imagine what having five second interval data does to predictive modeling? Uh, and not only that, but uh, we designed this to be optimized for crystalline and uh, other type of uh, module technologies. Right. So we're we're actually getting um, spectral uh, profiles of different regions and understanding that because that's a, another big source of error. So you sort of right. add all these things together and every day it's helping asset managers be better at making decisions to roll trucks and perform cleaning and things like that. Uh, it's helping on the predictive modeling side us to better understand uh, shading and soiling impacts, predictive outputs. Yeah. But it's also building up a great database of business intelligence because yeah. what we do on a daily basis is energy accounting. We take this benchmark that we built, the Dino, and yeah. expected power, and we understand what's happening with the solar array. Did it do what it was supposed to do? Uh, and if it didn't, why not? Was it because of shading? Was it because of equipment outages? What type of outages? And things like that. So this database of um, business intelligence is the way that our, our members, we, we call our clients members, that's yeah. the way that they understand and get smarter about doing their jobs. They can make better purchasing decisions, better operating decisions, yeah. and, and so forth. Where does the word Dino come from? What does that mean? Dino is short for denominator. So in Mm -hmm. your performance index, you have a numerator, which is how much energy you made from the meter and your denominator, which is how much energy you should have made, which is based on your expected model.
0: So we've both been in the industry for 17 plus years, (laughs) seen a lot of change, seen a lot of folks, a lot of things stay the same. It's fair to say that the technology while available wasn't deployable for, you know, in type TopCon modules, the way that we currently are deploying them now because uh, of a number of industry um, sort of tipping points that needed to happen. Even for companies like Soulcast that was recently acquired by DNV, right? Like for them to even be able to exist, there needed to be just a threshold of, of projects installed that could utilize the data before their company would become valuable enough to be acquired, right? Mm-hmm. In the same vein, I'm curious, what needed to be true for dino watts to begin to have a market and to work
1: first thing is just very simply it was the need for a better mousetrap mm-hmm. uh there's you know the dino sensor without getting into a lot of the, the technical details this is a wireless self-powered mm-hmm. iot device remotely managed i can manage it from my phone I talk to mm-hmm. i know what's happening every minute each every individual day. one each individual one yeah yeah for
0: those who are watching on youtube yeah. you can see it if you're not then you should you can check oh. it out on on our youtube channel
1: yeah so each individual one is a um is an asset that's sitting out at a site collecting data being managed and helping us uh, mm-hmm. better understand so from from and it solves each one solves a, a dozen little problems that aggregate into big problems Um, when it's wireless and self-powered, you can locate it in the right spot. It's got, um, uh, sensors on it to understand it's tilt angle. Um, it's got redundancy built into it in so many ways. Mm So, so I get, well, so I get that that device needed to exist, but what in the last 17
0: years has come true that made it possible for not only the device to come into existence for edge computing, but also what, you know, like what are the, what are the precursors to make your business possible?
1: Well, when I started this, I could see a, uh, the, the reason I say we needed to fix data is mm-hmm. because we needed to have better understanding of our data uh, 10, 10, 12 years ago, uh, as we we're sort of contemplating this, uh, I went out and did some market research and found that it matched my thesis. I was going out and talking to other IPPs and ONMs, and I say, what, how, how are your assets performing? And the answer was fantastic. They're doing one hundred four, one hundred six, one hundred eight percent of their expected expected mm-hmm. energy, and and we were all excited about that ten years ago. Hey, solar's going great. Um, but when you start to look at that, you say, wait a minute. If it's doing one hundred eight percent of what it was supposed to do, somebody left something on the table. Right. Um, what if our target should be it does one hundred percent of what it's supposed to do, and not just that, but we have it do one hundred percent of what it's supposed to do consistently. Um, right. understanding weather patterns and things like that. So so yeah. that was the first thing. And then I think what we've we've seen over the last uh decade is more and more reports uh that have come out uh based on other data sets that suggest that there are trends in underperformance. And he, he, I see that. Mm. But here's the thing is that I I see it not in every portfolio. I see portfolios that are nailing it. I see some that are struggling. I see regions that struggle. I see regions that do great. And understanding that it's, it's not, I think there's a report that says the industry is underperforming by 8%. Um, no, not, not everywhere. Uh, so why is it that some can hit their target and some don't? Uh, that's what we help deliver to, to our customers because um, they have much more successful businesses when they hit their target.
0: And again, I'm going to probe at a technical level. Is there anything that you now deploy that didn't exist five, six, ten years ago?
1: Oh, boy. So the capabilities of the Internet of Things to, to be able to do remote management yeah. um, somewhat existed. The big one is uh, AI, machine learning. Mm-hmm. So every, yeah. every day our systems, we're, we're running machine learning. We, we have a, a metric called learned energy which is not just taking the, the energy model that was given to us by the customer, but actually learning the operating profile of every site, which is how we're able to determine, oh, if it was underperforming due to shade that might grow over time or due to uh, soiling yeah. outages. So machine learning um, is, is a huge one. And, and like I said earlier, uh, edge computation, I think it's also called fog computing, which is not taking all of your data, tons and tons of data it's sending it to the cloud for processing but actually mm-hmm. processing data at the edge, at the grid edge, that helps us to get more resolution to the data without having uh, the, the, the trunk bandwidth of, of trying to transfer all that data. So those are the three major sort of innovations.
0: Yeah. So machine learning slash AI, I'm going to lean mm-hmm. towards machine learning for now. Yeah. IoT and fog computing is a new term to me. That's interesting. I'm glad to have a chance to maybe dig into those a little bit deeper, but also to know that that exists. It sounds to me as well, because you mentioned members and it's effectively a subscription business, which gives you great MRR. Like, is this essentially a data play then? Like you're a hardware company with a data layer that is where you, um, that you, that is where you're building
1: the, the scalability. Oh, we're, we're a business intelligence company. Um, Uh in order to have business intelligence, we had to get better data. We had to fix data. Yeah. In order to fix data, we had to fix technology. So, you know, it all rolls. (laughs) Um, I love that. So we had to get the technology right. Um, but yeah, we're, we're a service. We, we sell hardware, but we're, we're not a, um, we're not a hardware company. We're not a sensor company. We're we're not a monitoring company. It's, it's so much bigger than that. Yeah. And who do you
0: sell to for those who are just unfamiliar with this piece, because most people working, for example, in a residential space, they don't install weather stations. Don't know, they don't know what a power pyranometer is um, unless they just have geeked out like we did when we first started our solar companies. Right. Like
1: who are your target clients? You know, our target market is the uh, independent power producers, the people that own and yeah. operate own or operate assets. So yeah. it's the people that own the assets, the service companies that support them, uh, the companies that the EPCs that build them. Mm -hmm. Um, and we work, we, we have a a part of the solution for every aspect of the life cycle from, you know, commissioning and startup to doing the capacity testing, which is, you know, one of the last remaining contractual requirements. Did, did somebody build, uh, the array and is it performing as it was expected to perform from the contractual purposes, um, so that, you know, you can release the funding for it and, 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 and. And sell the project to the owner. And then it goes into the hands of the owner. And I'm going to say owners over the, for the next three or four decades. So it's Mm -hmm. really a life cycle commitment to making sure that these assets are going to stay working optimally.
0: A little bit later, we're going to get into your philosophy on um, operating a company as an entrepreneur with personal capital versus um, other people's money. But have you funded this uh as a tip traditional venture funded uh, uh business no this this was this was in, internally uh financed and have you achieved what you might consider sort of key product demonstration milestones that you could point to that um, or third party validation that your original hypothesis is proving is proving true and and sort of market ready 110%
1: Yes. Okay. Um, and, and that was a- Give me examples. Yeah. And that, that was a big part of our of our strategy. If I could maybe speak a little bit more to funding and how we yeah. went through this, because this, maybe this starts to describe the entrepreneurial side. You know, I've, I've mm-hmm. done VC-backed companies, I've done mm-hmm. angel-backed companies, and, and uh, this one was going to be different because this is such a, this is a long vision. This isn't, um, a lot of people wouldn't, uh, maybe VCs wouldn't, Necessarily have the patience for the six-year, five year um uh, of something like this. This is a long vision. When we we set out um building this, um, it started out of a uh sort of a challenge from one of my former customers, uh Fred Unger over at Boston Community Capital. He said, Hey Dan, can you just build Help me a friend. wireless yeah. weather station? Um, because I I can't believe the um the complexity of putting up a weather station. I said, all right, Fred, I bet we can do that. And it and, uh, took us about a year, and we, we custom-rolled some, some hardware and some software to, to build a wireless weather station that you could just – it plugged right into the monitoring. I think it was plugged right into also energy. We called it a plug-in at that point, and we just yeah. gave them weather data. But a fun thing about the, the first installation that we, we put the Dino into, I, I ran into this guy on the roof. Uh, as a, he was a, a Brago solar o m technician named Matt Murphy – And, uh, we're installing, I think the second Dino that we ever installed up on the roof. And I was showing Matt Murphy like this, this wireless sensor. He's like, it kind of blew his mind. He's like, wait a minute, that's all you need. And so there's somebody that's been installing all these, uh, complex, complex things. So, um, you know, fast forward, he, he started to become a real fan, uh, and shows a lot of interest in, in our approach and he's been he um in particular has been very uh, influential in helping to guide us um from you know not just being a technology company but understanding you know what is the real market need um if you didn't know Matt Murphy he um went from being an O&M technician he's he's actually the COO of Greenbacker Greenbacker Capital wow. and he's yeah. he's built a, just a phenomenal team phenomenal business and um we're we're grateful that you know, he is what you know from an entrepreneurial standpoint, sort of a a, a textbook type of customer that was just a believer in the vision yeah. and helped uh, to support us through the way. So, we've grown this um, this business through um, through cash flow. Uh, we've developed technology through cash flow. Yeah. Uh, as an entrepreneur, I've gone off and done consulting projects to try to you know raise the the, the little funds that we needed. Um, you know, to, to, to buy parts, to hire employees yeah. and, and, and do the things that businesses need to do. But we've done this internally. We've done it, um, maybe the old fashioned way.
0: So uh, first of all, I love the shout out to Fred. He was one of, uh, I've known Fred forever, yeah, as, you know, all the way back to the, um, the days that I was running around when I was, was meeting you guys in, uh, in Boston as well, um, with Lumetta, um. And it's fun to hear these names come back up, Matt at Borrego, um over and now at Greenbacker. Um, we gotta get Matt on the show and Fred, I think. One of the things that is key for any technology to really get lift off is um, for, for something like this in our industry in particular, is to have some third party validation, right? Yes. Often technology will go to Black & Veatch or DNV and and get like what's referred to as a bankability report mm-hmm. or they'll get some other third party testing. Um, What have you achieved thus far in that regard?
1: First of all, the philosophy. Um, Just a point on philosophy, because when I when I started this trying to build a better technology, um, I was all about innovation, innovation, innovation. And what I learned over the years is, well, this is a um, a finance involved. um, These are very expensive assets um, that really look to standard, standard, standards. Um, So this is sort of a dichotomy that um, is. Maybe it's common in other industries, but but you uh, have to balance the innovation with the standards. And and I've I've described it as kind of a yin and a yang. If you're going to innovate, you also have to um, conform to standards. Uh, innovation and standardization have to dance for the industry to progress forward. So innovation is great. Like we we love to innovate. We've got great innovative technology, but um, we learned early on we had to go off and and also understand how we fit into standards and standards that aren't fully mature yet. Uh, Standards have been evolving. You know, some of the first standards that we were using in 2010 were written back in the nineties. And then in 2012, there was more capacity testing standards and IEC and ASTM standards. What we found is we have to help guide the standards and to try to explain that, to our typical to the market is complex so yeah. it was helpful for us to work with third parties the first uh, standard we set out to work with was ISO accreditation and specifically yeah. ISO 17025 which is a standard for uh, calibration and testing laboratories it's the highest standard in the world and we looked out at what was happening with measurements and you know IES and, and Bank abilities and everything. We said geez, What's all missing from this? Um, everything comes down to the importance of the calibration of the benchmark. Yeah. Um, so we we said, wow, there's the standard that's out there. Only one or you know, I think only in the U.S. There was only a couple of labs that followed it. Uh, there weren't any sensor companies that followed it at the time. So we said, let's uh-huh. go and get ourselves accredited. And we spent about a year going through that process. A lot of due diligence, documentation, peer yeah. reviews, and, and everything. And we got an accreditation to ISO 17025, which happened to be about the same month that uh, Kip and Zonen also got theirs. And to me, that's so important to the industry that this growing industry has hit a maturity point where we can have a laboratory accreditation for calibrations.
0: Who is, for those who don't know, who's Kip and Zonin?
1: Uh, Kip and Zonen makes great quality, uh, maybe the highest quality, Uh, full-spectrum pyranometers, for example. So that's a very common uh, sensor that's used in the industry. You can take a kippen and Zone and a CMP10, for example, which is commonly used, and plug it into the back of a Dino to measure a full-spectrum irradiance, Mm, just for those technical people out there. Nice. So getting a calibration accreditation, so we're a calibration lab, um, turned into... uh, a couple of years later saying, geez, we're doing all these capacity tests to support financial closings. That's something mm-hmm. that should also have an accreditation. Um, so we, again, we worked with the accreditation body um, for almost a year. We determined that nobody else in the, in the world had pursued this yet and we thought it was a, a worthy thing to pursue. So we did and we got accredited to do capacity testing under the, the two leading standards, the ASTM and then the IEC standard wow. for capacity testing.
0: And you're now the first to be accredited.
1: Accredited, right? Yeah. In, huh. in accreditation, um, you know, you, you can get ISO certified, you know, ISO 9000 certified. These are, these are commitments to quality that companies yeah. go through. But in a, an accreditation is something different and it's much higher. What it says is that... You're not just committing to, you know, quality and standards, but you're going to have an auditor come through every year and look at everything, kick over every log, go yeah. through all the documentation, root cause analysis, and and validate that, you know, we have performed our duties as a testing and calibration lab uh, to the standards and
0: I love that. Yeah. So the difference of accreditation is that you're not just committing to standards, but you have audits to ensure you're meeting and or exceeding those standards.
1: Yes, and, and peer yeah, review,
0: transparency. So, so peer yeah. review
1: is one of the next things. And um, it was almost just over a year ago we said, boy, some of this stuff is really complex. Even the mm-hmm. people that understand performance in the industry aren't grasping on to some of the to the topics we get into. So we mm-hmm. said maybe we should go talk to. Um, an independent engineer, because we do a lot of work with independent engineers and find out um, if, if they would be interested in reviewing our technology. And when we did this, we said, let's, set, let's go set out to talk to somebody that we believe would be um, highly critical of our new and innovative yeah. ways. Um, so we, we found DNV. Um, DNV spent, it was eight or nine months going through Capacity tests, going through our technology, our methods, our our, our, our uh, technology and sensors, and and did a review. Came out with what we believe is a, a great a great review. It's available on our website. Yeah. You can download. But um, more importantly, um, was for us, it helped answer some really key questions. It was. Mm. The, the the findings the technology the findings they gave us were unexpected like we we kind of knew this and we're, we're grateful that they agree mm-hmm. but it was the history lesson that I found really valuable and really helpful mm-hmm. because when when you're trying to innovate and you're you're looking for you know trying to resolve problems um i think there's a is it the, the toyota um i can't remember the gentleman's name that, that he had an approach that said you have to ask why seven times and that's when you get to the to the root cause of the problem that you can go fix and you know yeah. every day you say why is the industry still going back to that first thing like working so inefficiently we're taking energy models putting them in pdf reports emailing them back and forth and and, and doing all these things and you know, why, how did this all happen? How did we settle on, you know, what's the best and most appropriate sensor to use? Um, so the history lesson we got from DNV was in- incredibly helpful um, because it, it didn't just validate what we've been doing. It really validated where we're going and in this need for a data revelation.
0: Tell me a bit more about the, the history lesson. And then I want to get back in speaking of history I want to get into to your own history. But what do you mean by the history lesson? <sighs>
1: Boy, the history lesson is there. There's a approach that folks in the industry um, are used to taking. Mm-hmm. That say, if you want to um, measure performance, you have to use this type of sensor. It's got to be this t- class class A type of sensor. To do a capacity test, you should follow you know this this technique. To do energy modeling, you should use this type of data set and what was extremely helpful for me because these I've always questioned some of these um, assumptions that people follow Um, was to go, go back almost 10 years ago and read some white papers Mm. and uh, came out from NREL and uh, DNV helped point these to me because they offered, authored some of them uh, to say, geez, if um, this is probably the right way to best benchmark solar, but if you had this other type of data set, it would be a more obvious solution. We don't change the science of benchmarking and modeling, but we did take a different approach to measuring irradiance data. So rather than measuring, for example, flat spectrum ideal cosine response irradiance, which is what you use a, a thermal pile class A pyranometer for, which people are used to, to seeing, we said, let's go off and measure the effect of irradiance. That's the mm-hmm. amount of irradiance that's actually going to get absorbed by the modules and and convert it into into electrons. So that's a key difference in our approach. And we can find plenty of cases for that in the history. Um, And and not just with respect to measurement, but also with respect to how do we come up with better predictive data sets?
0: You know, it's interesting. To bring it a little full circle, you have a particular understanding and appreciation for weather and weather patterns and what they mean for um, the future of, of consumption. But on a different level, you grew up just outside of Boston on a farm. Can you talk about the impact of those early years on your sort of your thinking around how we interact with nature around us?
1: Yeah, so growing up in um, just north of Boston, my family has a, a farm. It's, a, it's an apple orchard, fruit orchard. Um, and we grew up working there, so from very early on, um, I, I I spend all of my extra time working around the farm, uh, not mm-hmm. just on the crops and, and things, but also on the tractors and learning about how everything works, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, but um, you know, it kind of ties back to maybe I've lived a whole life farming photons. Um, today, it's <laughs> yeah. it's the industry, the solar industry, but but back then it was it was really about. Um, agriculture and taking, you know, you know, seeing, seeing how mother nature provides for us. Agriculture
0: and farming really does harvest sunlight. It does. It does. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's farming photons. Yeah. I've had a, I've had a mentor here as well.
1: that says we don't grow crops, we grow soil. <laughs> That's exactly it. Exactly it. Yeah. They say, you know, the greatest gift that farmers give is, um, is the soil, mm-hmm. um, the soil to the next in the next and the next generation um, um so yeah taking care of the soil is, is so key and that that's one of the things i love about agrovoltaics now is this movement yeah. to really use the land. agriculture to mm-hmm. invest in all of that land and and replete um you know reconstitute soils that might have been depleted from other activities mm-hmm. before it so uh that, that's mm. one of the great things about it. but but it comes back to my my growing up in agriculture what was the conversation like
0: for you around the, around the dinner table as a child? Uh, was it a close knit family? Talk about the, the work that your family did. Obviously there was the farm involved. Oh, yeah. Can you parse that a little more,
1: a little more yeah, for me, the, big family, it, small family, the, the farm, the farm's a, a family farm. And I had cousins and uncles, uh, aunts that worked at the farm with me and my, my mm-hmm. siblings, my brother and my sister. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom is a teacher. Uh, she, she, she was a wow. teacher uh, nearby town. My dad's an entrepreneur and uh, you know, he, he he inspired uh me to to you know be, just be tenacious about anything you do just his his saying to me would just be go for it um and 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 that's driven most of my entrepreneurial spirit having having a father um my mom uh thinks I'm crazy um, but <laughs> geez, she thinks I'm crazy, yeah. but my mom grew up uh, farming. So she'd tell me all the stories about, you know, the, the day that the, the tractors came and replaced the horses and, oh, wow. um, you know, taking the cows out to pasture before, before school and, and, and things like that. And then I got to experience that growing up and boy, I hope my kids get to uh, continue to experience it and their kids. Cause, mm-hmm. uh, farming and agriculture is just, it's just a great way to start your career.
0: Your kids may t- may speak about the day that the solar panels came to replace the generators. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I hope so. I Isn't remember that, cool? that day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Any uh any early signs of uh, entrepreneurial tendency for you or that developed particularly strong uh qualities that ultimately like led to you taking a departure from what your mom thought was like the safe path, but
1: your dad was an entrepreneur. Any early signs there? Um I enjoyed my early days, I enjoyed inventing things. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's where I started to. You know, I was I was not the the, the baseball player, the super student, the the anything. I just I mm-hmm. enjoyed inventing things, working on the tractors, welding things like that. That yeah, that's that's where I sort of navigated to. And my friends, you know, fixed we, stuff, fixed yeah, stuff. Yeah, so I enjoy that.
0: Yeah, we're gonna talk a bit about one of your mentors who that's been his, that's been his bailiwick since he was what, 10, 12 years old, uh, James Warden. So um, that, that's, that must be a, a rural Boston uh, fixture for like young, smart kids is just tinkerers kind of, kind of reminds us of another uh, another Bostonian that was a tinkerer and inventor. Um, Any particular personal heroes that stand out for you in your early childhood that really influenced the way you think about or, or began to construct life
1: why my my dad be the number one Mm. yeah he he was you know watching him um he was a financial advisor but he he um we we did so many things he started restaurants he um would take us to go do snack booths at at the local shows like um you know he held the family together um uh, being an entrepreneur, and, and that that was inspiring. And you know, it wasn't until I got much much older that I I really appreciated what mm. what they did to to make things to work. Make things work. Yeah, yeah.
0: Have you been curious about utility scale storage? Sungrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built in DC to DC coupling, combined with other features like. A Higher energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. Hey, pardon the interruption, but I wanted to just let you know how much of an impact you have on SunCast. Yeah, you. Thank you for clicking play. Without you, this show... Is just me shouting into the void. But there's still people who don't even know about Suncast. I know I can hardly believe it myself. <laughs> but that's where you can help me yet again. There's a simple way that you can show some love and help others discover the show. If you cruise over to www.ratethispodcast.com forward slash Suncast. I'd love it if you would leave a five-star rating and enthusiastic review. That's possibly the single kindest thing that you could do for me today. So if the show has helped, inspired, or even entertained you at all, I'd love it if you would head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast and give me a virtual two thumbs up. All right, back to today's episode. I believe that everything we do serves as a stepping stone or building block. Sometimes um, it just informs our ability to pattern match better. Um, sometimes we grow up with aspirational desires, like I wanted to be a singer uh, and go to Nashville, but I didn't end up taking that path, yet I'm using a microphone to make a living. Um, what career path did you not go down, but always thought you would? Any detours in your career that have particularly informed that the path that you're on now? Like it's two separate questions, but I'm curious how you would weave those together.
1: Yeah, I, well, I went off to college to study agricultural engineering because I, I thought I'd come back and, and uh, go get into farming. And I, farm. I, I love yeah. farming and energy and, and growing crop systems. Uh, in, in high school, I did a, a hydroponics project for the State Science Fair. And I think that's yeah. probably the one thing that kicked off um, my drive because I did great uh-huh. at the State Science Fair with a hydroponics project and found out that I could go study that in college. So I, I jumped on that wow. and and studied it and learned about energy and um, hmm. biomass and solar and wind and, and hmm. hydrology and things like that. Uh, I loved it. Um, one of the things I also was driven to was um, and maybe it was partly because I had friends that were, were doing the same thing is, uh, is service. I said, you know, I'm going to spend some years after college uh, doing some service before I, Sort of settle back down into what I thought was going to be my life on a farm, right? Um, so I said, "Yeah, hey, I'll, I'll go join the army. Why not?" Uh, so I did yeah. a, uh, ROTC in college, uh, and that helped pay for college. Thank goodness, you know, getting into the army and uh, it was just one of the best decisions um, I, I made. I, I learned mm. so much about myself, about yeah. the world, um, so about perspective. And well,
0: and I think it's interesting to put a time parameter on this for those who may like, let's, let's put folks in that time in place because you didn't join the army at just any time in history, like yeah. just some random time in history.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. So, well, I, I was commissioned in the army in uh, 99 um, mm-hmm. and, you know, did some, uh, did an overseas assignment in, in Korea and then came back, got to work in, um, in the Washington DC area at biodefense and biodefense and things like that. But it was right about the time that, um, you know, that was so probably pivotal pivotal in everybody's yeah. life that we know was 9-11 and yeah. the events that, that came after that and, you know, what became the global war on terrorism at the time. Right. Um, it was a, a complex period to, to be in the service because it was a lot of deployments. Um, and uh, I was just, I'm grateful, I'm one of the very lucky um, to come out of that with a Saying, you know, I had a really good experience and, mm-hmm. um, yeah.
0: Well, yeah. you were deployed to Kuwait. Yes. Talk about how that particular deployment serves now as a, a cornerstone for what ultimately became this new direction in your career. The the ability to recognize a different way to harvest, uh, ha- harvest photons, as you put it earlier.
1: Yeah. So I... Um, while I was in the service, uh, I'd used some spare time to work on a, an MBA because I, I knew that I wanted to, I needed to be smarter about business. I had an engineering undergraduate degree and I needed to be smarter about business because someday I was going to go into business one way or another. Um, mm-hmm. So I was uh, finishing up my MBA. Um, my my last assignment was a deployment to Kuwait. And uh, at night when I was off duty, I'd go into the tent in the middle of the desert and work on my MBA. And uh, one of the last few classes I had was to, to do a business plan. And I was, you know, sitting there and, and this was my aha moment about solar. And fortunately, I had the background from college about how solar works. So I'm, I'm walking across the, the camp one day in the middle of the desert, in the middle of Kuwait. It's I don't know if it was 115 degrees out. It was just hot and sunny. And mm-hmm. I, I look up and one day there was a whole bunch of these uh, solar lights that were going down the the middle of our, of our camp between the tents. And, and that my, my first reaction was maybe a little bit of cynicism, like, really? Yeah. Okay. We're putting up solar panels in the middle of the desert. Why are we doing that? And, right. um, and then it, it kind of hit me later that night. I was like, wait a minute. Not only do we put up solar panels, but they took out one of the generators because the lights that used to be there were powered by a diesel generator. Mm. You know, I'd learn Later, from um, uh, Gen- Major General uh, Anderson, who was the, uh, the, he, he was the support commander for Operation Iraqi Freedom about that time, wow. a former boss of mine, um, that one of the, the, the greatest things he did in that was to uh, reduce energy, uh, not because we were trying to make a difference um, on, on climate change, but because if you could insulate tents, put up solar lights and things like that, you didn't have to run generators. You wouldn't have to truck diesel fuel across very, very dangerous roads that was getting soldiers killed every day. And, and by doing that, you could, um, you're could you saving lives. And, and it was such a, a microcosm of the whole big picture. And as I started to internalize this, That, wow, that's, that's interesting. I said, you know, something from my last project, um, I'm going to write a a business plan about starting solar, a solar company. that would install solar panels and, you know, what the cost would have to be to make the economics work. Um, So I started, I started working on that.
0: Thank you, Major General. What was his name?
1: Anderson, Steven Anderson. Anderson. Yeah.
0: To fast forward just a little bit here, that business became what? many in the industry know, recognize, admire, in some cases, um, fear for their prowess, uh, is a business in the Northeast now yeah. known as Nexamp. Yeah. Um, you came back from Kuwait with the business plan in hand. How do, you, how do you get off the farm and out of the army and stand a business up?
1: Well, the, the first thing you had to do was start to build the team. When I did my research from Kuwait, I wrote an email back after doing looking into, you know, what was going on in Massachusetts to the state called the, the Mass Technology Collaborative. And they had just launched this program or were getting ready to launch a program in 2006, um, which would provide a rebate for people that want to install solar panels. And I found this contact mm-hmm. name, a guy named John Abe. And, yeah. and I wrote to him, I sent him an email. I said, hey, John, my name's Dan. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting out here. You wouldn't believe where I'm at, but I'm thinking about doing a solar, a solar company mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm trying to find some research uh, to help me with that. And um, he, he, did, he, he wrote back to me, which I am just eternally grateful for, with the information on how to get started. Yeah. Um, and John Abe um, is, if you don't know him, he, he is probably one of the, the best values-driven leaders um, I've ever got to work with. Uh, he's one of my mentors. Uh, he's and he's he's the definition of a match. He's um, hmm. t- just uh, class act in every way. Uh, he's currently oh, yeah. the CEO of Sunwealth, which is a uh, a finance company that um, helps to bring uh, solar assets and solar power to um, kind of rooftop and and commercial projects. Uh, and they, they just do such great work. So, I come back from, from Kuwait with this business plan. Um, honestly, Nico, I, I went and applied for some jobs because at the time I didn't totally have the confidence to, to go and step off and do it uh, to, to start the business. Mm. And I, I applied for a, an energy sales job over at, at Patriot Energy. And um, a Lou rate, wow. I'll never forget it, looked at me and said, Dan, um, thank you for coming in interview, but I can't hire you. You just came in here and talked to me about how you want to start selling solar, and I need you to go sell energy. <laughs> and, and 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 Lou and uh, his partner uh, Bill Pesca Salida, we still laugh about that. Um, yeah. So I couldn't get hmm. a job, you know. And I, I looked at I t- went and talked to my my parents, and I said, you know, you know, the employment's not working out so well. I think maybe I'll go for it. Would you like to mm. to buy a solar project from me and I'll go install it for you? And they said yes. And and that's how this all kicked off. Um so That's amazing.
0: Your first system was to your parents. Yeah. Absolutely. So you so you go get one of those uh those those lovely uh, grants that at that time in Massachusetts and throw some solar panels out
1: on the farm. Yeah, so we so we put solar panels up on my parents' house and then I went mm-hmm. and put a a 10 kilowatt system at the farm that powered the barn and we had just gotten a golf cart. So it was powering some of the electric, the electric vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Love that. But that's, that's where, uh, you know, coming back to the, to the team um, as, as I was getting ready to start the installation of my parents' house um, my lifelong friend, Will Thompson came up and he -hmm. was driving home from work and he knew I was, I had a truckload of solar panels and he came by to help me unload them. And, um, you know, that kicked off, uh, you know, Will Will and I have been friends since we were four, we joke about. Um, He he, he studied engineering, environmental engineering. He was in the Army about the same time. Uh, He was coming out of Tikrit as I was getting into Kuwait. And um, here here he was uh, out of the Army um, working for another company. And he came up to give me a hand. And we kind of started talking about, hey, I can see this starting to go somewhere. Would you like to come in and, and be part of this? And, mm. and, and he did. And, and from that, he helped me found, co-found uh, what later became known as Nexamp. That's amazing. What was it first called? Yeah. Uh, so the first company was called NextGen, NextGen Energy NextGen. Solutions. And um, boy, I've got to go back to, to a moment in time. Um, now that I've talked about some of my core team, John and John and Will. Um Yeah. Right when I came back from Kuwait, um, my wife and I had just moved into a house uh, in North Andover, and we're getting ready to start our our new life. And uh, as I was getting, trying to figure out what was going on with, why is nobody hiring me? I'm submitting my resume everywhere. Uh, We were out walking one evening, and I I came across one of my neighbors that was putting up solar panels in his backyard. And I was like, hey, there's a guy doing solar panels. I just wrote a business plan about that. And I, um, I said, well, I'm going to walk up to him and, and find out what's what's going on. And and um, I had the greatest discussion with with this gentleman. His wife came out, and um, their kids, and and he was saying, yeah, we're installing solar panels on the backyard. We just started a company. We make inverters. I said,
0: does he have a barn? And did he also make electric cars? Of course.
1: He's got a barn. <laughs> oh I, I was like, what's an inverter? And they're like, well, That's if you ridiculous. install solar panels, you're going to need one of these too. And, um, and so that was James and his wife Anita. <laughs> James Wharton, Warden. And yeah,
0: for those who have, who have no idea who James Warden is, I did a, lo- a wonderful interview with him about this time last year. And you should go listen to that as well. We'll link to it in the notes. That's yeah, amazing. So they, You he was a neighbor. You like casually walked by James's house. Yeah. So North Andover is a special place, my friend. Holy crap. Well,
1: it, you kind of, I started to feel like Forrest Gump at some point, like, wow, how does this stuff just keep happening? Um, so James, James and Anita were so instrumental in helping me to get next gen energy solutions off the ground, because yeah, we had the team, we had the drive, but we needed to understand how the technology works and in, in everything. So, so they did that, but they also gave me some um, perspective because they had just um, sold their first company, which was an electric car company, uh, to start this other company at the same time, making inverters called Selectria Renewables. Yeah, and um, James. Uh, in particular, is the technologist uh, of this, and he—he's what I could call an, an, an just old Yankee. How's that? Like, mm. if <laughs> if the inverter didn't need it to operate, he did not put it in there. There wasn't an ounce yeah. of anything that didn't need to be in there. And that that drive to bring down the cost and improve the efficiency of the industry was so instrumental to their success. And that really defines um, what I think yeah. is James. And, it is. you know, I've got to, I've just got to say at this point that um, very sadly, we lost Anita last month. Um, mm-hmm. She, she is just such a, a special person and she, and she leaves behind her, her three kids now. And, and James, Anita um, was somebody that was sort of a mentor early on. I would see her out walking all the time. We'd, we'd have great discussions and, and all, and, you know, after they left Selectria, she went on and did so many great things as a is um, sort of a mentor and with with nonprofits around the area and just a great example of a of a great human being. And, and she's missed. She's missed. Mm. Yeah. You know, and one, one of the things that um, I really appreciate about the wardens as a husband and wife team uh, is the importance of your your spouse um, and your core team being on the same page. And so that I got to say thanks to my eternal yeah. gratitude to my wife, Carrie, who has uh, put up yeah. with all this nonsense that I go through <laughs> being an entrepreneur. <laughs> yes. Cause you, yes. every, you couldn't explain it to anybody who has been do. able
0: to salvage their marriage. Yeah. It's been because yeah. they've had a, a wife who is entirely supportive and, um, also because they've also been able to learn enough about themselves to, um, to, to, eventually ask for forgiveness.
1: <laughs> wow. That was deep and very well said. Um, so as we started to build this company, so Will and I, and, um, it turns out we started, you know, just growing this organic installation company next gen, um, with the helps of all these people now we're describing. In fact, we built it up to, um, eight, our initial eight, uh, employees, uh, six, six were veterans also returning back from, uh, Iraqi freedom and enduring freedom wow. air force army. Um, and, uh, one of them was an Eagle scout. His name is John Abe. Uh, yeah. And, uh, he came on board with us and my sister, Katie, who came on to, uh, nice. uh finance and accounting. So we built this little team called next Gen. And we started doing um, not just residential projects back in two thousand six, seven, going into 8, but we also started, we we landed a big project in North Andover. It was this 120 kilowatt project that was at the time almost, I think it was the largest project in the state or second largest in the state um, with the Goldsteins who owned a uh, doctor uh, and uh, Ori Goldstein who owned a a property here in North Andover. And we won a big grant to go build that. And um, part of part of that was uh, we you know it helped kind of put us on the map. Um, and we were now doing big commercial 100 kilowatt projects, solar projects. And I had um, through that I got to start working with uh, Jeff Wolf and his team at Global Resource options grow solar up in Vermont. And uh, so we built this, this 120 kilowatt project and the owner was so happy with it, they said, okay, we got to add on to it. We want to do another 100, uh, another 60 kilowatts. Um, so in the process of doing that, we uh, came to realize that uh, we were using evergreen solar panels modules at yes. the time, which was great, made here in Massachusetts. And we had been using this sun power or power tilt racking system for the first project, which was great. That was my introduction to commercial solar racking. Um, went down great, but we went back to buy some more to do a second phase of it. And, uh, Sun power said, no, we're, if you want to buy a racking, you got to buy our modules too. And, uh, I think we were working with Ananda over Grow solar and, and Jason <laughs> Fang over Powerlight, And we kind of said, "Oh, geez, we've got to find another mounting system. We looked around at the market and we're like, boy, there's really not a lot of options. Um, so at that time we were kind of looking at our pipeline and, and seeing what was going on in the industry. And we started seeing more competitors come in. There was this company named Barrego that was coming from California. And we're like, what what the hell is a California company doing in Massachusetts? That's that's not right. Yeah. And and um, we said, boy, it might be time for us to look at how we can capitalize and, and you know better grow grow this company next gen. And I ran into a, a gentleman H.C. Uh, e. Henri Claude, and he was a former, uh, he was the founder and, and former chairman of Hagler E, which is a um, management consulting firm. And he was put together a group of angel investors that were interested in, in building a, a solutions company. And so they came across um, us in a, in a newspaper article, I think, read about uh, Dan and Will, the Dan and Will show a couple of uh, veterans that had started this company, and said, "You know, that looks like the type of company we want to invest in." Um, so uh-huh. we we put together a, a deal, and um, and from that HC and I and Will co-founded Next Nextamp. What was kind of fun about that is yet yeah, Next Nextamp just continued the mission that NextGen was doing. But I, one of the discussions I had with with HC before we closed, I said, "You know, HC." There's, there's kind of another opportunity here and that's to do some commercial racking. He said, what's mm-hmm. commercial racking? I said, it's the stuff that holds the solar panels on the roof. Um, and, and I said, here, check out this concept we have. In fact, I already have a couple customers that are lined up to buy it if we can build it. And we did a little bit of market research and said, yeah, that's, that's something we can do. Um, so we started our, started this other company called panel claw uh, at the, at that time. And as
0: I recall, grow uh, and Jeff Wolf, were the first distributors. That's how I learned about
1: panel yeah. clock. So, um, with not just the support of HC and this new company, uh, the support of Grow Solar and Jeff Wolf, who said, "Dan, you're absolutely right. Like we we could yeah. use some uh, a better product." Um, but you know, I, I got to take this moment to talk about the, the the sort of the Godfather of of panel clock, Costa Nicolau. Um, yeah. So Will Thompson again studied at Tufts, and um, he had a roommate, this guy named Costa, uh, who had met back in college. And uh, Costa was in uh, data and marketing, um, and he was. Will said, "Boy, we were talking like, who are we going to find to to sort of be a project manager for this this thing we're trying to do?" And we said, "Boy, we actually need somebody really to to sort of lead this company." Um, yeah. So we 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 set up a call with Costa and Costa said, sure, that sounds interesting. He did a little bit of research and said, yeah, this, this sounds interesting. So uh, Costa came, came on board uh, day one, maybe it was day zero. We incorporated panel claw as the, uh, I believe as the president. And we said, Costa, uh, this is Jeff Wolf. This is this idea that we had. Here's a couple projects that we've sort of pre-sold. Make it happen. Yeah. And um, he did in a big way.
0: I uh, I'll just point to folks that want more of that backstory and what I believe to be one of the better um, in the in the overall canon of Suncast uh, episodes that we ever did. Uh, episode 142, way back in 2019, was Costa Nicola. and I. It's still it still is as good today as it was back then. So I'd encourage folks to get listen to that. We'll link to it as well.
1: Yeah. Co- Costa, I'm sure you know him, but if you didn't know him, he's just, he's an internal optimist. Uh, Infectious inside, optimist. Like tireless um, leader, cheer cheerleader advocate for the industry. But mm-hmm. if you're having a bad day and you get to make one phone call, call Costa. He'll cheer you right up. Mm-hmm. Um, just Just a great guy. You know, so we have this this team now, and I guess this is the whole theme of, of of the story I have to tell and share is yeah. it's all about the team. It's always all, always been about the team. Um, so so Costa is building this this uh, this company called Panel Claw. Uh, my team, Will, John, but too many people to um, mention. Building Sam yeah, and and then Nextamp. Really start to have a lot more success. And HC and I discussed it. We said, you know, we, we probably need to um, raise another round because we're starting to grow. Mm-hmm. In fact, we had just won um, this big uh, Reco- Recovery and Reinvestment Act um, contract for the state to, to build, um, I, I believe it was four megawatts at the time across wastewater oh, treatment based facilities. Deal. And that was really putting us on the map, but that was going to have some capital requirements. So we went off and we put together a series A um, with, with good energies and point you to the capital. And in the process of doing that series A, met who I think was an associate, um, good energies at the time, Zad Ashai. Yeah, and Zad um, came on board as a director at, at Nexamp and really helped to guide the company as I was the, the COO at the time. And, yeah. you know, Zad is just, he's really smart. He's a great strategist mm. and he is just a phenomenal CEO. So as it was coming to sort of the, the 2012 and is coming to the time where I said, okay, I'm starting to figure out who I am and what I'm meant to do. And yeah. in, in this world, um, it was time for me to move on from next And yeah, what was great is that, um, Zad at that point was, um, stepping in, um, to come off as more than just a sort of a board member to actually take the reins of Nexam. And and that worked out great because boy, this, this is sort of my lesson, um, about people in the army. We learned how to, you know, mentor and, and grow people. You'd start off as a you know, a private or a lieutenant, you grow up and you be, you know, start to take over units and and commands. And, you know, if you did great, you you got promoted. If you didn't do great, you didn't get promoted. And what I've learned about people is everybody's got a superpower. Not everybody was Mm -hmm. meant to be a CEO. Not everybody was meant to be a coder. Not everybody was meant to, you know, do construction and, and run complex projects, but everybody's got a superpower and you got to enable Everybody to find their superpower, um, mm-hmm. and that's that's my lesson in all of this. Um, I had to learn about who I am, but in order for Panel Claw to become what Panel Claw became, it needed Costa. It needed it needed that that person to go and lead it to success. For Nexamp, um, yeah, we had a great foundation, but it needed Zad to go and lead that company to success and a team that Mm. he's continued to build. Um, For me, what I've learned about myself is it, I enjoy finding the problems. I, you know, you have to be able to understand what the future is going to bring. You have to be able to predict the future, maybe to see the problems that are going to be facing the growth of, of this industry, for example, and then, and then find the, find the solution, you know, plant the charge, light the fuse and, and get the hell out of the mm-hmm. way, and and find mm-hmm. the right people to go and run with it. So that's kind of where maybe Dan Leary fits in the in the industry is just somebody that likes to get things started, and 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 find the right team, the right people to go and to go and build it. There's
0: so much I'm going to leave on the table for this interview <laughs> that we're going to probably need a next interview of some sort. Um, I, but it's a perfect uh, parlay. In into a couple of questions here to kind of go around third base and, and bring the project home. Here, I wonder what you've learned about that. That maybe you could try to summarize about finding and cultivating that talent. It's a hard talent market. I find that the number one problem that companies, ours included, faces is yeah. bringing people on, getting them on board. Like, what is it? What is it that you look for, and how actually? How do you actually show show them? a company that is one that they would be inspired to join. I think those two pieces are really hard to, to do.
1: How, how do you recruit? How do you build a team?
0: Yeah, but I think like one of the piece I'm asking is like, what's necessary for you as a founder, for me as a founder to do first, to show someone that is being recruited that this is a team worth joining? And then how do you find, like how, what do you look for in the kinds of people that you want to attract?
1: Like this two part question. Yeah, vision so you have to start with the vision. You have to, you know, to build successful teams, share share values, you know, and you, you learn this like scouts. I'm very involved with the scouts um, and my kids. And what I love about the scouts is the, the, the values that the, the core that drives everybody. And so as you build your team and when I say team, I don't just mean, you know, the employees, but uh, friends, mentors, the, the, the people that are maybe an employee one day, the, the stakeholders, stakeholders yeah. and 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 are off, you know the decentralization of of great ideas uh, and the people that pick them up and, and continue them. So building that yeah. team through through the vision and the core values is fundamental. Is that something
0: that you found um, you continually come back and re- and revise? a lot of folks, it seems like there's an exercise and you do your vision, mission values, and then you put it up on the wall. How do you think about that as an entrepreneur?
1: Oh yeah. Your, your core values, I I think are with you and you can only grow and, and make them stronger. As far as like the business direction, um, mm-hmm. I make just dumb mistakes every day. I get things wrong every day. And that's one of the things you have to get over is you have to you have to navigate and and adjust fire. You have to I wouldn't call it pivot every day. You gotta know when to pivot, but you gotta continually navigate. Yeah, of course correct. Yeah. And you know, let me talk about the the approach for a minute that I've taken, you know, post Nexamp, which is having, you know, been through again funding with with venture capital, it's really I, I started to appreciate how to deploy capital. And using capital mm. as a tool, because you know, it, in business school, they would say, "Write your business plan, go, go find some capital to to fund it, and off you go." And, and you mm. know that couldn't be further from the truth, uh, further from reality. Because well, you can do that, and I could probably name some high profile people that got very successful doing that. Um, but that's not how it works. Uh, you, mm. You've got to um, you've got to have a lot of discipline. And you got to work very methodically, especially if um, you think about capital as being a tool. Well, capital is not a customer or a client. Um, capital is not an idea. It's not your work ethic. Uh, capital is something you use to scale and to grow. And you know, I, I've I've gotten um, my my current business partner, uh, Dave Sampson, is somebody who I I I, I ran into. Um, early on. And he's been a mentor to me. Um, he's somebody, mm. uh, besides being an absolute wonderful human being has taught me how to better navigate and hone my skills as an entrepreneur. Um, because mm. that, that approach to entrepreneuring around is not for everybody. Um, yeah, yeah, it's not for everybody.
0: Is there anything that, you've changed your mind about or changed your opinion about in particular, when presented with research or data, contrary to your original belief.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, we, like I said, when we started this, we thought we were just going to build a better mousetrap and Mm -hmm. coming out of, you know, the most recent major revelation was realizing, wow, this isn't, this isn't just about building a better mousetrap. Um, Mm -hmm. this is about a revolution in data in, in building business mm. intelligence that this, this industry really lacks right now.
0: How do you, what's the analog of what you're building is the X to Y, right? If you thought, of, thought of it in that term, the easy way to express to folks, the business intelligence side of it, like, where does this kind of business exist in other sectors that, that we can learn from that you are drawing inspiration from?
1: The speed at which you can make good decisions is critical to the success and to the scaling and the efficiency mm. of everything. If you know mm-hmm. what modules are working great, which inverters have the best reliability, what, what locations, what tilt angles, what mounting technology works, how, how to do bifacial analysis, where snow is having an impact, where soil is having an Like, if you know the answers to these things, you can make fast, great decisions. But what the industry has always lacked about that is a standardization of getting to those answers, one of the things that the industry lacks right now is generally accepted accounting principles. So you, you run a business and, you know, when you do your books, you follow GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles. And, yeah. and, and that's something that solar doesn't have yet, or at least doesn't use. It actually has it. There's a standard. There's an IEC standard yeah. that we started to follow because I think this is so important. Once we start doing energy accounting as an industry, we're going to be able to get that business intelligence that we need. So, you know, maybe that's an industry parallel that's helpful.
0: Do you feel like there is advice that you got early on, or maybe even um, more recently that have been foundational insight for you as an entrepreneur, something that you in this moment can sort of pass along to other entrepreneurs who are maybe hanging on every word here, hoping you'll give them inspiration or point them in the right direction, put a stop sign in front of the wrong direction? It's very simple, Ninko
1: don't quit, never quit. That's all.
0: I think that readers are leaders. If you've listened to any other episodes, you know what's coming next, but I'm really curious how you inform your thinking based on others that you read, listen to. um, How do you digest your own learning? How do you invest in your personal development? And in particular, if you could share books or resources that have been guide points for you, that'd be helpful.
1: Well, there's this podcast I love to listen to called Suncast. Um, and, you know, I love listening to, <laughs> you. you know, what, what you have, some of your shows. Like I, I've, I've gotten so much value out of listening to like your, uh, you call it Tactical Tuesdays. Um, mm. And and, and uh, I've, I've just learned so much. And I go to the gym in the morning and, you know, let's turn on a podcast for 40 minutes and listen and, and just get so much more insight and be like, oh, that's how the whole thing works. Uh, so that's yeah. helpful. Um, we spend a lot of time looking at the data. Every day we learn something new about the data. I, I can't over overstate that, you know, my desire for business intelligence isn't because I think that people should buy business intelligence. It's because me, who I, you know, I've been in the industry now for 17, almost 18 years. Every day you think, you know, everything there is to know about it. <laughs> um we learn so much from the data every single day about what's working, what isn't working, what's working differently than we thought it was going to work. Uh, so being able to share that and make everybody else smarter about it, that's, that's the driver. Are there any particular books that
0: you look at as um, having been partic- uh, specifically inspirational? It doesn't have to be industry related could be, yeah. um, just get took you on a, a spiritual journey, but what, what books do you recommend and why?
1: Yeah, boy. One, one of the, one of the books, I love listening to audio books and, uh, readings. Mm-hmm. One, one of the books that, um, Will gave me, Will Thompson gave me almost a decade ago. He was at, at the, uh, I believe it was the army war college it was required reading, but it's a book called the starfish and the spider. And it was a, um, it was a, a story about the decentralization. It talked about a lot of, uh, you know, businesses, how things evolved in the mid, you know, late 2000s into, you know, sort of into the current. And it, it gave me a lot of insight and inspiration about the type of business because it's not just about the technology. It's about how you put together the business offering, how you work with your team and, you know, how we, how we grow durable businesses.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at it announced by Lance Ford. We'll link to it. Yeah. Uh, Unleashing the Leadership Potential of Churches and Organizations. Uh, Lance Ford, Rob Wagner, Alan Hirsch. Um, I have not, I feel like I have been recogne- rec- recommended this book and have not for some reason read it. But I am adding this to the list. Required reading in the army, really. Wow. Yeah,
1: I'm sorry. It was, uh, it was a Coast Guard course. Oh, yeah. Okay. He was taking on. Um, okay. Yeah. What
0: what books on your nightstand right now? Your proverbial nightstand, as we all my my books are all in my phone, which sometimes lands on my nightstand.
1: <laughs> so the book I'm reading right now is a book written by Jim Stockdale in Love and War, and it's written by the son of a, a POW uh, Vietnam era POW wow. uh, Admiral wow. Stockdale, who. Um, also, uh, was a vice presidential candidate with with Ross Perot, but it was a fascinating book about um, growing up, being the child of a POW uh, in, mm-hmm. in in uh, in Vietnam. And what was neat about it is that um, uh, Jim uh, is uh, married uh, a family that lives right next to the wardens. Uh, the Kittredges, and, and they actually come back and uh, talked to a, a neighborhood group. We got together in one of the neighbors' barns, and he, no he talked to us um, about the book, but um, gave us a lot more uh, family insight into it uh, and understanding um, just what what that Greatest Generation uh, mm. endured and and sort of how how it built his character. Uh, so I find I, I enjoy reading that book.
0: Uh, Is very cool. Do you have a, a morning routine or evening ritual that informs how you kind of make it through the day? Yes. <laughs> I figure you <laughs> might. There are a few rituals that you learn in the army.
1: Um, f- first thing, you, you, you get up early. Um, that's when you, your brain cells make the best decisions. So what's early? So I, I get up at four. Yeah, always define yeah, that. I start my day at four, and um, make a cup of coffee and uh, jump on jump on uh, the computer. Get through some emails, put some quotes together, strategize on on things, start to work with my team, um, who's in working across multiple time zones. Um, and I would find that I do some of my best strategizing and, and thinking uh, at those early hours. And then, what uh, time do you need to go to bed to get up at four? I'm usually in bed by ten. Yeah, yeah, 10. so that's good. Yeah, but, six uh, hours. Yeah, you work for a little bit, go for a run, go to the go to the Y in the in the winter time, listen to that podcast. And then uh, by the time you get home, the kids are starting to wake up, make them breakfast, mm-hmm. and then off we go. Love that. What
0: habit or consistent practice has given you the greatest yield or impact leverage
1: in your life? Me tinkering. <laughs> I enjoy working with my hands. Um, I, have, I have an old truck I'm rebuilding right now. My 53 Chevy pickup that I've had since high school. My first, maybe it's my oh, second wow. car. But um, I like to escape, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you, you have a small business, you can't escape it. It's just always there, but I can escape it by uh, rolling up my sleeves and doing some welding or cleaning up, cleaning yeah. up something. And, and that's sometimes, mm. you know, your best ideas don't come when you sit down with a pen and paper in hand, trying to think of it. The, the, the best. And you force yeah, it. Yeah. Mm. The best ideas come when you're, when you're sitting underneath the the, the truck trying to, scrape off rust, or you're in the shower, you're, mm-hmm. you're off running, you're doing something unexpected. And you'd be like, wait a minute. Yeah. Why didn't I just look at that differently all these years? And, yeah.
0: You're like, Hey Siri, remind me of this thing. Yeah, <laughs> and then you just have to remember to write it down. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Technology is helping with that, by the way. Right. As yeah. we back to your original example of snapping the photo rather than, uh, the, the, then the, than the, the developed photo, getting Xerox and faxed to folks. That's, <laughs> That was a great example, by the way, of just like how technology has enabled us to be um, in better contact with, with each other. Um, speaking of which, as we wrap, I'm sure that folks are going to want to connect with you. How do you like to be found? What's the best way for folks to connect with you?
1: My email is dleary at com. Find me on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to spell that for folks. D-L-E-A-R-Y at dneo watts watt com. Yes. And then the website is com. You're also on LinkedIn. Although, um, are you active on like responding to direct messages there? Oh, yeah. Yep. yeah, Okay. We'll link to your LinkedIn yeah. as well. Well, Dan, all good things must come to an end. Um, I'm sure this won't be the last time we have you on the show. It's certainly not the last time I'll get a chance to have a chat with you. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to have shared this moment with, uh, our fellow solo warriors and friends. I, uh, would love to hear your thoughts as we wrap though on um your version of a bold prediction when we look out to 2030 um you know, it's only six and a half years away mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot our industry has uh, as a tailwind but we expect that we will have revolutionized even more how our industry works and how it impacts our energy transition our uh, ability to affect climate change i'm curious What will we have gotten right in your vision for the future of our industry? And what will we have unlocked as a result?
1: There's going to be a lot more solar. (laughs) We're going to be smarter about how we deploy it, how we manage it. Fortunately, Nico, I do have some insight into the future. And what I see is um, success because we adopted a decentralized approach to managing data and we were able to actually incorporate technologies that allowed the interoperability of all the things that go into asset management. I think I say on our website, we're trying to reinvent performance management, but it's mm. all about things that talk to other things and the collective intelligence that comes when we have better access to better data. And mm. That, that's, I think, the thing that we're going to say we got right, is that we recognized when it wasn't going the way we wanted to, the industry was okay and felt it was time to, to adopt a new model.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I'm eager to see the industry's ability to, to take this thing that you've created called Dina Watson, spin it around and look at it and decide if what your vision is for the IoT of energy is indeed useful and helpful for them. It seems that you've gotten the respect, admiration, support of industry gatekeepers like DNV. And so uh we wait with bated breath to to hear the response of the industry. I'm grateful for the chance to share a piece of your story, but there's so much more we could we could go into and um and I look forward to doing that again at some point in the future. Thank you for taking the time to finally come on board here at suncast and share with us your your vision for the future and and the way that you've helped architect the past the foundation of our industry in many respects
1: thank you nico and thank you for all that you do to connect all the dots because there's a lot of great dots out there that need connecting
0: well i'm super grateful for dan someone i consider to be a true industry pioneer uh if it seemed a little strange to those of you who've listened to a lot of episodes that I might have been uh, overly flattering. Trust me, I don't think that I have been, but I definitely fanboy on the North Andover crew uh, more, more than most in the industry, simply because a lot of folks have made much of the, uh, the California boys, right? Like the guys who supposedly built this industry and I'm not taking anything away from them. We've had many of our, our friends, the Solar Cowboys uh, on the show. Uh, and I take nothing away from the folks in, uh, in California who have indeed been pioneers in this industry. But, but there is a solid, strong contingent in the U.S. Northeast who, like Dan, have been visionaries like Jeff Wolf. Like Lyle Rawlings, many of them, we've had the pliv- privilege and pleasure of having here on SunCast. We're linking to them in these the show notes. So, whatever podcast player you are using, you should be able to see. Uh, if not, if not the links, then the links to our show notes, which certainly have links to those episodes and the resources that I dug up uh, in research for this episode. Things like the five ways that Dan mentioned during the conversation. I do hope. That this is a uh, that this serves as a beacon for you, especially if you are an entrepreneur, you're trying to raise money, you build a team. Promise you, there are few conversations you can listen to that will be as uh, as materially impactful if you let them as as this conversation uh, was. And I now you know can, can solidly say that as much as I've said Costa uh, and even James sit in the pantheon for me of great suncast episodes i promise you have just listened to one that i would add to that order and uh i'd love your opinion would you please share with us uh i know that dan will be eager as well what stood out for you what resonates what are you taking away what are you going to share uh you can similarly find uh our linkedin both the suncast podcast and my own um my own profile where we no doubt have left a rabbit trail for you to follow, a post on this episode that you can comment on. Engage with us and with Dan. Let us know, how is this materially impacting your business? What would you like to know more about? And uh, you know, there's more than 600 episodes just like this in our catalog over at mysuncast.com. So I'd encourage you to go take a look at that and tune back in on Tuesdays for those tactical Tuesdays that Dan pointed out where we take deep dives with subject matter experts like Dan and share more about how this or that thing works. If Thursdays, these executive profiles are the, uh, the who of the industry, tactical Tuesdays are the what, when, where, how, and why to grow your business and your career. And uh, lastly, I'd be remiss if I didn't say thank you as always to our sponsors who help make this show free to you each and every week. You pay attention and they pay the time. So thank you to our sponsors who help make uh, this show continue to tick along so that you can enjoy it. Please show them some kindness by uh, by going and checking them out. You can do that at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. That's also how you could learn how you could partner with us to reach thousands of Solar Warriors and clean tech climate champions, just like they do twice a week, every week for the last eight years. And uh, we don't intend to stop anytime soon. That's at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.